0: but if I were to say true or false, Sean, cancer is a metabolic disease or metabolic disorder, would you agree with that? Because there's carcinogens out there, you know, there's like uh, power lines, there's, there's uh, you know, stuff in the water or whatever, but at the end of the day, would you say that cancer is more of a metabolic disease than, than anything else?
1: I'd say 90% of the time cancer is a metabolic disease okay. and that needs to be addressed. That's the biggest reason that we have proliferation of cancer.
0: Welcome to Price Plow. Hey everyone, Mike back here. So, in September of 2018, we had our first ever return visitor onto the podcast, and that was the incredible Sean Wells at Zone Halo, who came on to talk about a very specific topic. We had seen Sean in our second episode, and since we had all the formalities out of the way, we can get right into the business. And we were talking about something very near and dear to my heart, targeting brain cancer using the ketogenic diet and many other tools alongside of it so of course before we go any further many disclaimers first off nothing here is to be taken as strict dietary or medical advice neither sean nor i are oncologists or doctors whatsoever but what we have seen is that some of the tools here as an adjunct alongside of your doctor approved drug program have been shown to work and help out in a lot of different ways so take that with a major grain of salt but this is all adjunctive therapy and we've seen a lot of success with not only defeating certain types of cancer with a ketogenic diet by keeping blood sugars extremely low and like quote-unquote starving out those cancers but we're also seeing that you could also prevent a lot of different forms of cancer and a lot of that comes down to whether or not you believe Thomas Seafried's theory that cancer is a metabolic illness but With that all said, I think that this is a very important podcast to listen to for certain individuals, but of course it needs to be taken alongside of the diet and medical expertise of a known oncology staff. And hopefully you learn a few things along the way. This will not be the only time or the last time that we have Sean on the podcast. So look forward to seeing him more. And we'd love your feedback on what exactly you'd like to talk about because I like to get into these deep dives on single specific topics where we can get a very nice laundry list of things to do. And in the show notes on the blog, we do have a good list of 13 or so things that can be done alongside to improve mitochondrial health. So it's time to talk to Sean Wells the second time targeting brain cancer with a ketogenic diet. Welcome to the Price Plow podcast, powered by Pre-Workouts. Price Plow is an online tech and media company that provides nutrition industry news, reviews, and interviews, with a heavy emphasis on supplementation and sports nutrition. Our system provides supplement deals and price alerts, but in this podcast, we'll explore all things related to performance optimization, industry happenings, and far more. Thanks for joining us, and welcome to Price Plow. Welcome back to the Price Hall Podcast. I am once again honored to have Sean Wells back on our channel. Sean, welcome back. You are our second podcast guest before and we had an absolutely incredible conversation. We'll need to link back to in the description uh, talking about optimizing brain performance. And, And that's been a year. So a lot of people have been asking, hey, get that guy back on. He's got some incredible insights. So welcome back, here you are.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. That was uh, one of the best podcasts I think I've ever done because of your passion. Uh, I loved the questions that you were asking, and uh, it seemed very earnest and genuine the, uh, the questions that you wanted to know for your own edification, really, which I love.
0: Well, yeah, thanks. And, and it, that's the truth is I, I was very, I am very interested in it. Obviously, uh, I've been through some <laughs> crazy life changes since that interview. So we actually, things are starting to calm down. We had our daughter, she's an incredibly high energy, awesome baby. But um, we went back, finally, things are calming down. We went and watched that interview again. And it was so good. But there was like so many things where I said, oh, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And didn't do that. Didn't do that. There's a lot of things that I, I now need to catch up back on because uh, things have calmed down. So it's been great to go back and kind of replay it. And we threw up a couple short videos from it. And so uh, people on our YouTube channel can, can check those out and we'll make links back to it. Like I said, but uh, really, yeah, really good conversation about getting the most done and being efficient and different ways of just, uh, you know, optimizing your brain. And that was the whole point. And so uh, with, with this conversation, uh, you know, we we kind of lost touch for a few months because I had some craziness, of course, and then unfortunately, uh, you know, we we came back together under some uh, more unfortunate circumstances in that uh, a, a distant family member was recently diagnosed with brain cancer and uh, wanted to be as helpful as possible for this person. And it's obviously a very sad and unfortunate situation. But I, I know you had some uh, some experience with. Uh, with this type of treatment, and so uh, and and helping people uh, alongside of you know a doctor's medical uh, treatment, I know you have a story there, so I wanted to talk about that and and kind of for me, you know, I, I, I'm in the computer world. We always talk about disaster recovery and. One thing I realized in this situation is that, you know, if I were to get any type of disease, let's say a kidney disease or a liver disease or something like that, where my brain is still fully functioning, I'm able to make a lot of decisions on my own, uh, as long as I'm not incapacitated. But in the case of, of something like brain cancer or uh, or a neurodegenerative disease, you really don't have... Uh, the capability all the, all the time to make your own decisions, and for that reason, I kind of wanted to put together my own disaster recovery plan and talk about uh, what you what I would want to do if all other things had failed and my brain was deteriorating to the point where uh, it was time to like throw some hail marys at the situation. And so that's kind of where we where we unfortunately came back together and started talking again. And um, so I guess before we go any further, I'd like to, of course, throw some disclaimers down. This is obviously gonna be some controversial material here. And this is not to be construed as medical advice at all. This is really uh, for my personal learning experiences. And uh, some of the things that we're gonna talk about for me personally would be as a last resort when all other things have failed. Uh, No doctor-patient confidentiality uh, has been generated or created here because we are not doctors also. So we have to say that. And, uh, and this is more of learning of some of the new research that's out there and how it can be used as an adjunct therapy for what a, a doctor states. So that's my disclaimer, this is uh, not medical advice. Sean, you might have some other things to say on top of that, but.
1: Yeah, exactly, I'm, uh, I'm still a registered dietitian, certified sports nutritionist, and I was a chief clinical dietitian for a decade, practicing in uh, long-term care, also called skilled nursing, and, uh, and in acute care hospital scenarios. So um, yeah, I do have some, some knowledge here, both from my own personal uh, digging in, similar to you, like I'm a biohacker of sorts, because I've had a lot of conditions uh, that I've had to deal with personally, but then I've also had some people come to me uh, related to my expertise and uh in those cases I don't do a whole lot directly with patients anymore I have a lot of uh business going on but when it when it comes to um dire scenarios and someone comes to me um I just feel like I've been blessed I'm not going to let someone die without helping them and those kind of scenarios I feel like that's something I need to do so uh, there was a, a specific uh, case where that happened but I mean at first I'd probably like to get into what my uh, connection is to all this so I've been doing keto for about 20 years mm-hmm. on and off and through that process I've discovered that uh, some of my conditions autoimmune conditions things like uh, fibromyalgia chronic fatigue syndrome related to prior Epstein-Barr virus. Uh, I still have Epstein-Barr, but I had mono at one point. Um, And then having two discs replaced in my neck uh, from a a car accident. I have Hashimoto's syndrome, uh, which is an autoimmune condition of the thyroid. And I have a pituitary adenoma, which is a brain tumor in the pituitary. It's not cancerous, it's benign, but it wreaked havoc um, on my neurotransmitters and hormones. The pituitary is just critical on so many levels. And when I found out, it was because I had, I was starting to get super tired, headaches, I was getting skinny fat, my body composition was changing even though I was working out, And, and there was, there's something wrong. And I started going to get blood tests, and I saw that my testosterone was in the 70s, that my beta estradiol was through the roof, that Jeez. my prolactin was through the roof. And then it happens to be that this adenoma is a prolactinoma. And that means that it's a hypersecretion of prolactin. And prolactin can inhibit testosterone. And cause all kinds of issues so
0: and that's like the hormone that has to do with milk production for guys who are exactly yeah okay well first off yeah. sorry you've had to go through all that um, it's, it's obviously unfortunate but in a way it, it may have helped the world in a little bit like you're <laughs> being the optimist out here because it's kind of driven you in this path where you're now able to go and speak on a lot of these things and talk about um, how the ketogenic diet for you at least is, and for a lot of people, this is where a lot of the research really started um, and has been at, with helping autoimmune disorders and other types of uh, cerebral functions and all that, um, or dysfunction exactly. perhaps. And so, and so, how how does it help you? And like, what is so? What is the what is the connection here between like the ketogenic diet and some of these uh, dysfunctions or the? Or, or perhaps what's the connection between the Western diet and some of those dysfunctions?
1: Yeah. So that's a great question. And I do feel you're right. I think the most passionate research comes from a place of, I need to fix myself. Mm -hmm. And if you look at like researchers that are just on fire for that subject, it's because they're dealing with it themselves Mm -hmm. or, or a very close loved one. So, um, I, I think it is a blessing. I think that I have been able to help people because of my condition. And yeah, so, the con- so it's not obvious, the connection, like you're saying, you might think keto with lowering blood sugar, you might think keto with weight loss. And then some people know, okay, epilepsy, mm-hmm. but what is the connection to autoimmune conditions? Well, a lot of autoimmune conditions we're finding out are connected to mitochondrial dysfunction and mitochondrial dysfunction results in something called insufficient cellular energy states ice and what that is is you're not getting enough ATP produced adenosine triphosphate the energy molecule produced by the by the mitochondria right mm-hmm. so the problem here is you get fibromyalgia you get chronic fatigue fibromyalgia is Several things like hyperactive nerves, it's hypertonicity of the muscles. And all this is happening, I mean, none of this technically has been proven, but all this is happening because of insufficient cellular energy states. They just can't function optimally, right? So a lot of autoimmune conditions are correlated to this. And we know almost every disease state is correlated to mitochondrial dysfunction if you track it all back and so mitochondrial
0: a ton of these different diseases
1: totally because from there we get things like um, inflammation glycation oxidation happening where there's damage happening to the body when those are in chronic states and those are all methods of aging like mitochondrial dysfunction results in aging mitochondrial dysfunction results in things like uh glycation which is blood sugar damage inflammation oxidation and we also know that keto the ketogenic diet or a state of ketosis through intermittent fasting or exogenous ketones or what have you when you're in a a ketotic state that you bypass the secondary complex of the electron transport chain and you get energy and you get ATP without without that insulin resistance, without that glucose intolerance that happens. So typically with the Western diet, mm-hmm. with metabolic syndrome, there isn't really a ketone resistance. Maybe one out of 100,000 has the, that, but it's super, super, super rare and it's nothing like the degree to which we have uh, insulin resistance, glucose intolerance in the western hemisphere with our diet. So, uh which is super common. Yeah. So we see that the ketogenic diet or being a, in a ketotic state uh, improves mitochondrial dysfunction, improves the energy state, reduces oxidation, reduces glycation by reducing blood sugar, reduces inflammation. So then across the board, we have improvement in almost all disease states Hmm. and with autoimmune conditions and with insufficient cellular energy states. This is why people get such a boom, you know, clarity when they are metabolic syndrome, when they do have epilepsy, Alzheimer's, these kinds of things that, like you said, the neurodegenerative states, that they get clarity, that they get energy back. They feel great. Now, does someone feel the same way that's an athlete that has great uh, glucose tolerance, that has high insulin sensitivity, that can eat carbs, that's lean? No, Mm -hmm. they don't. So they don't relate as well to these kinds of scenarios. But for people that are metabolic syndrome, for people that are living with chronic fatigue syndrome, for people that are living with autoimmune conditions, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, for them, it's transformative. So to me, probably 75% of the population, I would love to see what, what they could do on a ketogenic diet, or at least using intermittent fasting, because to me, that they could, they could truly benefit from that kind of situation where you're improving mitochondrial dysfunction.
0: Wow, okay, so thank you for all that. Um, so going way back, you mentioned glycation, and so this is basically. Can you explain that a little bit better, like or not better, but a little bit more? So this is basically damage that's from like just a prolonged amount of blood sugar uh, exposure. I guess could be the word, and that's and that's like the HbA1c that we we talk about, and then we talked about like some of the blood tests that you would want to get if you're healthy. That's glycated hemoglobin, and so that's a good way of testing if you have basically like blood sugar damage. Is that a good way of kind of putting it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and exactly, exactly, yeah. And glycation usually goes, correlates extremely well, goes hand in hand with inflammation. Mm -hmm. And these are, again, two great aging markers. And we've talked about this personally, that my two favorite uh, blood tests that I would get that are very cheap, that have a profound impact, and I wish every doctor would look at these two blood tests, Mm -hmm. probably for $100 you could get this done, and let's say we did this every quarter. I could tell you your likelihood of getting uh, any chronic disease. I could tell you the rate at which you're aging. I could tell you your health state by these two labs. And it's just hemoglobin A1C, like you said, mm-hmm. which is a better marker of longer term uh, blood glucose because if you just look at blood glucose, it's it's too transient. Right. It just goes up and down, moves moves too much because of so many things. Because it, catecholamines because of insulin because of exercise because of all, all this that, yeah. yeah food obviously yeah all that stuff so hemoglobin a1c is a much better indicator and then looking at crp c-reactive protein for uh, inflammation it if it's it's deeply frustrating i swear if if someone just takes this away from the podcast that would be great to just look at these two blood markers and i I wish I could go to the White House level and and have every doctor make this a part of every Mm -hmm. physical, at least once a year. It's so profound the impact we could have to intervene before these disease states even happen, and we could track these numbers over time and say, look, you're pre-diabetic. You are heading on your way to metabolic syndrome. Or like, what's going on here with all this chronic inflammation? Mm -hmm. And it would be so profound. it's so frustrating to think about all the disease we could prevent all the uh, coronary heart disease, atherosclerosis, um, cancer, diabetes, Alzheimer's. I mean, everything, everything is related to this. So
0: it's the base of this. And a lot of (laughs) it. And so a lot of it's just coming from the overconsumption of carbohydrates, cheap carbohydrates, kind of like the simple nutrient free foods really that we're so exposed to that are cheap. Um, Okay, so yeah, so the the glycated, uh, so the glycation leads to to this inflammation. At some point, you are on this path of just you have damage everywhere, and then just like kind of like all these different things can happen. Can we really tell like what what obviously diabetes is like seems to be the most common thing but it seems like there's also been, there's also been research that I've seen, and it's becoming harder and harder for anyone to argue against this at this point with all the data, like a massive, massive amount of data showing uh, out of out of the England, I think, where they showed, and so it's not really exactly causative, but it's correlational where the higher people's HbA1c's were that they tracked over time, the very much better chance they had of getting dementia. And so, uh, we, you know, we, we blogged about that and I could link to that, but it's like basically like we are connecting the high blood sugar, the prolonged high blood sugar and glycation with all these disease states. And uh, I think it's becoming harder and harder to argue. And to me, it's kind of frustrating that the standard care for someone who's a diabetic is managing managing their carbohydrate use like by using insulin rather than trying to bring it down like slowly but surely altogether. And so uh, kind of, yeah, we can we can throw more insulin at the problem, but at the same time, if your glycated hemoglobin is still very high, there's a very good chance that all this other damage is occurring and eventually that could lead to something like catastrophic. And so I've, I've kind of like harped on like the neurodegenerative diseases, but uh, it seems like at this point, uh, there's a lot of interest in the brain cancer world and the cancer world in general. And I, and so that's kind of where I wanted to go with this is uh, there's there's a, another video I'd love to link to for anyone interested in this where it's uh, Dr. Thomas Seafried who talks about Uh, it's titled basically cancer is a metabolic disease and so i'll make a link back to that but if i were to say true or false sean cancer is a metabolic disease or metabolic disorder would you agree with that because there's carcinogens out there you know there's like uh, power lines there's there's uh you know stuff in the water or whatever but at the end of the day would you say that cancer is more of a metabolic disease than than anything else
1: I'd say 90% of the time, cancer is a metabolic disease, okay. and that needs to be addressed. That's the biggest reason that we have proliferation of cancer. Okay, more and so than genetics it's because,
0: or, or lead paint or any of that stuff.
1: So those things could ab- exacerbate the scenario. We all have cancer cells all the time, mm-hmm. um, but we have ways of... Uh, extinguishing those cancer cells so it's a question of like how rapidly they're proliferating and how much it kind of grows out of control it's essentially like anabolism unchecked right like that just there's proliferation that's out of control and certainly there's things that are like you said these these toxins there's things that, that correlate to cancer that could exacerbate those scenarios but cancer spreads by really two means that I know of and it's glucose or estrogen. And and you know, think beta estradiol, there's different estrogens mm-hmm. like estrone, beta estradiol, etc. But the main one, without a doubt, is blood glucose. And we've seen that the majority of cancers when you address that, when you go on a low glucose diet, a low carbohydrate diet, which really the best case scenario of which is the very low carb ketogenic diet, uh, and then paired with intermittent fasting is even better. Mm-hmm. That those have profound effects on cancer. Uh, epigenics, uh, which Victoria Attalus Fields uh works uh works with still Uh, has done some great research. The data hasn't been released yet, but they worked with hundreds of of cancer patients, Hmm. maybe even to thousands, I forget. But they put them on ketogenic diets that were very controlled and they were all at various stages of cancer, various types of cancer, and they tracked it and the results were profound. Hmm. Uh, I can't wait until that data is released because that data needs to be released. I think it could have a amazing impact on our uh, our healthcare approach mm-hmm. uh with cancer and we have also seen as we've discussed that it's a that ketogenic diets are a good adjuvant therapy to radiation and chemo i'm mm-hmm. not saying again we're not doctors i'm not saying don't do don't do radiation don't do chemo
0: right
1: you know but I have mixed feelings on some of those in certain circumstances, but that's my personal feelings I'm, I'm saying, definitely work with your oncologist, I would always get a second opinion, and hopefully they're open to the idea of the ketogenic diet as many are becoming, and it can definitely be a strong adjuvant therapy. What is frustrating is when they say, "You have cancer, eat whatever you want, and they come out of you know chemo or. Or radiation and and like here's your you know apple pie and here's your ice cream and here's your you know coca-cola and it's it's well, uh, it mind like
0: the standard concern is that um people who are going through chemotherapy they become so nauseous that that doctors seem to be happy that exactly. they're eating anything they're, yeah. and keeping the weight yeah. on when it's like the body is almost trying to I, and I, you can't, so I fast. can't say one's first so fast. Your egg but yeah the body's trying to fast out this stuff because a lot of these cancer cells they don't seem to like ketones as much when you put your body into this alternative fuel source and you don't give it a ton of glucose a lot of, a lot of and not every one of them but it seems like a lot of like different types of cancer cells do prefer glucose over ketones and if you take away the glucose Absolutely. your healthy mitochondria is, you know and this is this is what drives me crazy is we were never taught like in high school health class or anything or even in, in some of the, the college courses, I was never taught. Hey, there's this whole second, secondary, and possibly tertiary. There's other, you know, there's other forms of energy out there that your cells can easily adapt to that aren't sugar. Like it was always carbohydrate, right. carbohydrate, carbohydrate, carbohydrate. And so the thing is that a lot of these cancer cells do prefer carbohydrate. Our cells don't necessarily need that, and there's no carbohydrate deficiency. You know, we've talked about that. And so if you th- take away one of their favorite fuel sources. And hopefully your mitochondria can switch over then then you might be able to like kind of uh weaken the playing field a little bit and then I say nuke them with whatever your your oncologist would say that's that's kind of where I am starting to to go with but like um I guess like to get into some of the meat of this well I first off I think you have a story about like this situation but I was going to basically uh ask you if you don't want to like go into the story or not and that's up to you um I was basically going to say like let's say that I do get, you know, brain cancer in the future, and uh, Jill, my wife, is watching this video. I've become like a, a total not me. You know, I've become a total mess. I don't care, and you know, all I want to do is, let's just say, drink beer and eat pizza or whatever. And, and, uh, and Jill's watching this video. Like, I would love to know eventually, like, what is the plan for you to like throw everything you can because everything else has failed us. And that's kind of where I'm going. But you might, you might have a story about that first. I'm not sure if you want to share or not.
1: I do. Um, so a, a client came to me um, and she said that, Sean, I desperately need your help. I know that you're good with the ketogenic diet. You have a clinical background. And I've heard you've worked with a few other people and had extremely good results. And she had glioblastoma multiform. And so that's brain cancer. Mm-hmm. Uh, majority of her brain was taken over. Um, saw the scans. The doctor said, you have about six weeks to live and we're taking you off of uh chemo and radiation. So just enjoy your last six weeks and that's it. And she was someone that was obese, uh, had eaten Western diet, you know, very poor diet uh, most of her life. Just, you know, sugar snacks and fast food and all that kind of stuff. And, she came to me and said, is there anything I can do at this point? And so I had kind of a, I don't know, four page thing I, I wrote up about all the different biohacking things she could do. But as, as far as therapeutic things that, that are pretty powerful, that if I was to sum this up, would be um, ketogenic diet. So very low carb, uh, ketogenic diet that's strict, a therapeutic cancer uh diet approach that isn't isn't doing low carbs and isn't having you know uh, lots of treats here and there and you know how people can do there's no cyclical <laughs> there isn't targeted there, this is a true strict ketogenic diet paired that with intermittent fasting a sixteen and eight paired that with hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy paired that with. IV vitamin C, twice a week, and then exogenous ketones and C8 MCTs.
0: So, and the, so the MCTs um, get converted to ketones once yeah. uh, your body beta oxidizes them and all that stuff. But uh, why why the exogenous ketones if you're already like way deep into ketosis? Is there do you really need the extra?
1: You know. Just looking at some data that's been done with other cancer patients um, and other animal models where they've done it. Um, again, there isn't tons of data, but it seems to have an additive effect. One reason might be um, that you're upregulating MCT transporters. Remember that she only had six weeks and she wasn't adapted.
0: Right, okay.
1: So, this is when you upregulate those MCT transporters. By getting deeper into ketosis faster and also remember she isn't going to be like doing high intensity interval training or something where she's depleting glycogen getting into ketosis faster mm-hmm. so this allowed her to get those transporters up where she's taking in and using more ketones thereby also lowering blood glucose and need for blood glucose for energy so i think it's it's arguable whether you're impairing adaptation by using exogenous ketones um but i think in this scenario where where time was so short you you need a lot of
0: ketones thrown at the cells it seems like
1: exactly yeah exactly so and just from what i've seen with preliminary data it seemed to have an additive effect on top of the ketogenic diet and hyperbaric oxygen chamber therapy you can go back and look at Uh, Dom's video with the animal model and and they showed that so Mm -hmm. uh, sometimes it was using ketone ester sometimes it was using ketone salt and some different studies some different models but uh, it does seem to have an additive effect so the cool thing was six weeks later to the day when she was supposed to be dead literally per her doctor dead and buried and her husband would have been uh, you know standing at her tombstone she texted me back and said I had an 80 to 90% reduction in my tumor showed me the scan and I was floored and she was and she had lost um, I want to say it was about 25 pounds Mm -hmm. Uh, she was significantly overweight like maybe 80 pounds overweight and she was thrilled, and I said, "At any point, did anyone tell you about the ketogenic diet through your cancer journey? Like any of your practitioners?" She said, "No, no one but you." And I'm going to be honest, Mike. That really, that really pisses me off. Yeah, that's sick care you know? right
0: there.
1: Um. So we've talked about how it's at least beneficial as an adjuvant therapy, that's been demonstrated by multiple practitioners that it improves the accuracy of the radiation and improves the outcomes. Uh, Again, it improves the outcomes with chemotherapy. So we've seen that. But maybe someone's, you know, they say, well, this ketogenic diet's a little crazy. Uh, That's not my thing. I'm gonna go with standard of care, SOC going to go with standard of care and just do what's expected what's reimbursable Mm. right for lots of money so we're not going to do the ketogenic diet but when they said hey you're going to be dead in six weeks we're taking you off everything to just enjoy the rest of your time on earth at least at that point couldn't have someone said you know hey i've got this like shot in the dark you know maybe this thing that I've heard about. I'm not really sure. It sounds a little hokey, but ketogenic diet. Why don't you give it a try? Uh See what happens. You know, if you're so inclined, but never came up, never came up and think about what happened in six weeks time to her. I mean, that's, it's frustrating to think about how many people have been buried and the second half of the story is very sad because she ended up continuing to to progress ended up going back to her doctor she never got uh, all the way clear of the cancer but she struggled over time as she improved she ended up going kind of backwards on her diet and you know eating junk food and and all that again and and she slipped some and then she went back to her oncologist and the oncologist put her back on chemo and radiation and within about six months she had died. So, oh, man. um, you know, where that would have ended up if she was strict on the ketogenic diet with the chemo and radiation or without the chemo and radiation, I don't know. I can't say, but I certainly know it benefited her and I can't you know translate these results to every person that has cancer but i know in this case the results were pretty profound but if you think about where's the money in ketogenic diet where's the money in intermittent fasting there's a little bit of money in hyperbaric chamber there's a little bit of money in iv vitamin c there's a little bit of money in c8 mct's and and exogenous ketones but most of that stuff, I don't know, like, let's say all that adds up to, you know, 1500 bucks a month. Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Let's say, let's say that's the number and compare that to one round of chemotherapy can be 50 to $100,000 in true costs. Mm -hmm. So where's the money?
0: Yeah, that's sad. So Dang, yeah, it's like you might as well want to give someone that Hail Mary, give them, give them that shot and everything. So it's unfortunate, but hey, at least it seems like you definitely helped extend the life a little bit. Um, what I want to say is like I actually kind of backed into this a little bit accidentally. Our YouTube followers on our channel might remember I had a video where I. Um, my ketones were so high and my blood sugar went so low i was afraid that i was about to pass out and like die because we we're kind of taught this whole hypoglycemic thing where you're gonna just pass out and faint if your blood sugar is so low well i ended up doing some research and that's how i found dr thomas Seafree because he had developed this this glucose ketone index where basically to get into therapeutic keto levels at like for his oncology patients um you need to be pretty deep and it turns out that I accidentally got in there so it's not impossible to do through fasting and um and whatever I did the, the few days before I was able to get into this level and it turns out that as long as your body has those ketones you don't necessarily need all that that blood sugar and so that was my concern at the time and I started researching I found this study that he had written where he had this glucose ketone index and it turns out um I emailed him and he did respond and it was pretty cool. And he sent me the latest version of his paper, which was the Press Pulse Theory. And that's where it brings up, okay, so you, you uh, the Press Pulse thing is a whole evolutionary kind of thing about animals or whatever, but I think he stole that name. And so the press is you press on the uh, on the cancer cells by depleting them of the glucose. And then you throw the pulse at them, which would be whatever you know the oncologist recommends. And in his case, in this study, it was the hyperbaric oxygen chamber. And so, and I really haven't gone much further down that that rabbit hole. But isn't that like that's the oxygen chamber that you react reox- that you use, like if you've gone diving for too long or whatever? Is it kind of the same thing? No, it's
1: similar. it's okay. Similar. So yeah. So what is the? Yeah, it's why, just it's oxygenation. Why? So oxygen, similar to the idea with um with healthy cells can function on glucose and ketones, but cancer cells only function on glucose. So that's the idea with the metabolic model. But with the oxygen uh, chamber therapy, it's kind of similar in that a certain level of oxygen is actually toxic to cancer cells, but healthy for healthy cells. So you can expose your cancer to this certain level, this titrated level of oxygen, and it will selectively kill uh, cancer cells, but actually be beneficial to your um, healthy cells.
0: So similar with the diet, you're just trying to do stuff that the cancer hates that your cells can happily tolerate.
1: Yep, Okay. And similar with, how can does can that see. work? You don't,
0: yep. it, there's different levels of of oxygenation in those chambers, or?
1: yep yeah exactly there's different levels of exposure and then there's different atmospheres you can put the pressure at and it's all you need someone who's experienced with yeah. uh treating cancer um and not just someone who randomly has a chamber right. for anti-aging or or what have you, so
0: are those people out there like we're hmm okay for sure yep. and so um yeah, yeah interesting are there and so are there other are any other like supplements that could be taken or anything to
1: to assist with that? Yeah, so, yep, yep. So I also had her, I didn't mention this, uh, I had her take for mitochondrial dysfunction that we talked about, uh, CoQ10 and PQQ. Mm -hmm. Uh, Methylation, methylation errors can lead to uh, potential for cancer. Um, So that is one thing I addressed as well with uh, great methylators, which is creatine, Mm -hmm. betaine, And the active forms of B12 and folate, which is methylcobalamin and 5-methyltetrahydrofolate. So um, I had her take those. um, And then I had her on IV vitamin C. um, But if for some reason you couldn't get IV vitamin C, then I would take a high-dose liposomal vitamin C orally. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. Probably, yeah, probably not the same thing from what I've seen with the vitamin C, but... Right. Okay. Are there... So, are there doctors who kind of do specialize in this at all, or is this oh, like... Oh, sorry.
1: Sorry, there was a big one that I forgot oh. to mention. Besides the exogenous ketones the C- and C8 MCTs yeah. is berberine, of course, which oh, okay. I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of. Yeah. So, no, I, yeah. I almost
0: want to have a whole separate video on berberine, and uh, that's definitely part of my, my daily stack. But yeah, I was thinking... And so the, the long story short is berberine is what we call a glucose disposal agent. And so it kind of helps lower your blood sugar by driving that sugar into the muscle cells, typically is what we say to the athletes. But I'm not sure like for, for someone who's obese, like what, I guess, what, were, what was the goal there? You're just trying to knock out as much blood sugar as, as soon as possible kind of there?
1: Yes. So I formulated a product uh, a few years back for Biotrust called IC5 and I was experimenting at the time with berberine. This is crazy, and I was in a ketogenic state, and um, I did this on um, separated, uh, where I took berberine or a placebo, and I did a carbohydrate challenge, and instead of doing, um, like, you know, normally an oral glucose tolerance test of 75 grams of dextrose, which Sounds gross. Uh, I did. Um, Sweet tarts. I believe it was. That no, was even more fun than that. I, I did. Uh, I think it was five double stuffed Oreos and, <laughs> and and two frosted pop tarts.
0: Now you're
1: talking. So yeah, yeah. So this is this is kind of fun. And when I did um, the placebo. Um, which, you know, I obviously know, so I don't need to uh, give myself a placebo. I didn't take anything uh, except the water. Um, I was at, uh, I went from around 70 was my basal glucose, Mm -hmm. uh, blood glucose, to, and I checked this every 30 minutes for two hours, and I got up to 199. Nice. (laughs) Two hours. (laughs) People do that to themselves uh, every day. I wasn't even going back down. Oh, man. Uh, So I don't know, like, where – I mean, hopefully, like, if I checked at two and a half hours, it was going back down. But um, this is the crazy thing. I took just the 500 milligrams of berberine, which is a standard dose. You take that three times a day. I took that, uh, co-administered with my my carbohydrate challenge. And I never got above 100 – at an hour I was already going back down
0: wow okay
1: so you want to talk about profound impact
0: I think that's better than the results I get there's an herb though so it almost depends on how well it's extracted too so
1: huge so that's a whole other thing yeah I went through 48 samples to find one that actually tested out Wow. there's so much junk out there Mm -hmm. and When I say test it out, we not only look at HPLC for the active, there's ways to manipulate those with other herbs that that will test out for the active, Mm. but when you're actually looking at HPTLC for the species, that's where we only found one out of 48 that was actually true, and of course, it was about four times the cost, and uh, it's very difficult I would say to find that, I don't know how much of it out there is bunk or not um, in terms of supplement manufacturers, but I would say a large percent is Okay. Uh, because might, it's much cheaper. I might need mm-hmm. to get
0: some of that and put it to the test on my, on my own self and compare some, you know, some of these other GDAs. So, but but okay. So you were using it with carbohydrate and everything, but for the, the sake of this patient here who had already been put on the ketogenic diet, is it okay to, to take the berberine, Um, If there's no carbs around like what happens then? What are you What is it doing?
1: So here's the other thing that I that I noticed is that uh, It has ketone sensitizing effects. It's a term I created really essentially I found that when you're in a normal basal blood sugar state and you're in a in ketosis that it will increase your ketone levels in and of itself. So I would see a bump of, you know, 0.2, 0.3, 0.4, 0.5 just from taking the berberine and it's suppressing glucose. So, um, yeah, that's fascinating. So it can have an impact. Like, so then it's like you start talking about synergy when you're taking exogenous ketones or you're taking or you're intermittent fasting or you're, taking mcts i feel like it can have this ketone sensitizing effect where there can be synergy
0: excellent so like this is a big if if you do subscribe to this whole cancer as a metabolic disease uh theory let's just say if you subscribe to that then you start going down okay how do i keep the blood sugar low ketones high and that's obviously a good tool to use um yeah when i first started doing all this I, i was afraid to use the the glucose disposal agents on an empty stomach or without carbohydrates. But now that I am in a ketogenic state, I'm not worried about blood sugar going that low. And uh, as long as I have the ketones around and it does, it does seem to make me feel better. And um, yeah, like, like you mentioned, you seem to be able to wiggle in a, a, a cheat, a little bit of a cheat once in a while too. Like, cause I, yeah. you know, I don't like avoiding fruit for instance. So if I can, I'm, I'm going to be, I, I, as one of my jobs is uh, I feel like I want to, I can't tell people how their diet's going to work for them, but I want to see how I can perf- create the more optimal diet for myself at least, and then kind of broadcast that to the world. So if you think you might have at least something similar to me, then maybe uh, you know maybe that's a good like starting point for some people. And so that's kind of what I I, I want to do on the channel a little bit in my my little biohacking without getting too crazy is some basic blood sugar and ketone tests and everything. Um, okay, so so you also put through berberine. It's, it's so sad that the story ends like that so at this point let's say we're off in the future and i got brain cancer and i'm being just a son of a bitch and so jill's out there and it's like all right so you gotta throw me in a padded room (laughs) and i'm cool with this like put me in a padded room and get me into therapeutic ketosis by whatever means necessary and so one way to get into ketosis is starvation like do you recommend like would you say if i want to get into ketosis as soon as possible would you rather like go into a high fat mode and the key, you know, exogenous ketones? Or would you just like say, Mike, just go starve yourself in a padded room for two days?
1: Uh, and this is in a cancer state?
0: This is, yeah, this is future Mike who's got brain cancer and is being a, a, a horrible person.
1: Yeah, I wouldn't recommend starvation for a long time and I wouldn't okay. re- recommend low protein for a long time, but to get into ketosis faster. Okay. Like that, that you're basically, I would go zero carb. I would go very, very, very low protein at first. I would do fasting slash starvation. Yes. For the first three, three days, five days, something like that. And then I would bring up my protein some, and then I would start eating, Um, a ketogenic diet again staying strict but I definitely wouldn't be getting above 20% of calories from protein and I would try and keep my carbs to near zero.
0: Right okay gotcha and so then uh, yeah so we got PQQ and coenzyme Q10 hopefully you can start getting the uh, vitamin C and it's not an injection, it's really it's intravenous vitamin C, Yeah. scheduled, yeah. hyperbaric oxygen chamber, kind of start low, exogenous ketones, C8 MCT, which, um, I, I so for me, I, I haven't had much success testing ketones with C8 MCT, to be honest, but what I'm looking at is it seems like it happens so much faster that I need to test my blood, I need to test my blood ketones sooner, than I normally do. I want to do it like fifteen, thirty, and forty-five minutes to see if it happens quicker. Because I've actually had just as good a success with coconut oil myself. But that's you know, That's in a normal, healthy, sober state and everything too. So that's a that that's one area that I want to tinker with a lot more with like some of these more enhanced uh, MCT oils. And then what else? So there's there's
1: a there's a study that shows uh, coconut oil versus MCTs, oh, really? which is C C eight and C ten versus C eight. And it's over a hundred percent better. C eight is over MC- and sorry than coconut oil, and versus the C eight versus C eight plus C ten, it's twenty one percent better. Um, but I've seen pretty dramatic differences. Okay, you have uh, yes.
0: Okay, I'll need to with that and maybe get get a link to that study. Wow. Okay. Cool. And so, man, yeah, it's 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 it's, uh, it's just. Sad to think about some of these things, but it, it all comes down to so. In in terms of someone who thinks that they might be, um, it might be a genetic thing or whatever. Would you? It, it seems like it's still a good idea to at least like keep your keep your uh, HBA one C levels low. Keep things more moderate to low carb and everything. Um, do you now regarding the protein? This is what I was going to ask regarding the protein use. You said you know bump you'd bump your, your protein back up after a little bit. Do you subscribe to any of the theories that, for instance, uh, cooking your you know, cooked meat is more carcinogenic than a, a plant based protein or anything like that? Or would you just be like eggs, meat, whatever it takes to, to hit the, the, the ketone numbers?
1: I think there's certainly ways that we cook things that may not be the healthiest thing. When a carnivore eats an animal, they don't cook it. <laughs> no. Um, so they eat it, they eat it raw and there's certainly things that we're doing to it especially under high heat that can damage the the flesh of the animal so um and it may be exposing you to um a greater level of of oxidants but at the same time a ketogenic diet is pretty profound at reducing oxidation in and of itself mm-hmm. so um that's why you don't see carnivores eating fruits and vegetables because you know they can live just as long but they're not producing as much uh oxidants and therefore needing antioxidants and they're not in um a glucogenic state which is oxidant in and of itself mm-hmm. they're in a ketogenic state so i mean that's why you've seen like we've talked about certain animal models where they're ketogenic especially versus a Western diet. Now, I don't know versus a vegan diet or what have you, but versus a Western diet where they live 21% longer on the ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. So I always make the argument, you know, some people argue like carnivore, vegan, you know, paleo, all these different things. I just make the argument, here's what I know. It seems like it's pretty conclusive at this point, is whole food is where we should start. Should be the basis for all diets. Mm-hmm. Then we can argue Mediterranean, ketogenic, vegan, all these different carnivore, all the stuff. Okay, let's argue that after we've eliminated GMO, artificial sweetener, artificial flavor, artificial color, antibiotics, um, you know, on down the line, RBGH, RBST, after we've eliminated ultra processed foods, Coca Cola, one ultra processed no that's a new term <laughs> no no it's, that's processed is, is old now it's ultra processed food so that's that's the foodstuffs that we're into now i mean why like we've talked about this like how often does uh carbohydrate and fat occur um in nature like on, a, on an appreciable level I mean certainly there's things like you know we've talked about avocados uh, yeah, and the nuts example but I example
0: is avocado but a lot of that's fiber too I don't know if that's like
1: Right exactly same with nuts.
0: Carbohydrate. But, right, yeah.
1: but if you look at this food stuffs that's in our that it, that's in our food supply it's meant for bliss point because that fatty mouthfeel plus the uh high glycemic carbohydrate there's a dopamine response it's called the bliss point and food engineers intentionally do this so that we get this wow response when we eat foods and you know you take a nut that's plain you might eat 10 of them maybe now you add oil to them oh well at least have a better Mm mouthfeel now we're gonna eat 20 of them add salt to that oil now you want to eat 40 of them now you add uh, spicy sweet habanero with honey oh man oh now now someone's eating like a whole you know, yeah, tub gone. of things.
0: yep I know exactly who you're so, talking about <laughs> so
1: this is uh, those are bliss points and you're essentially just adding more and more bliss point factors until you get to the point where it's just pure addiction and you can't control yourself and it overrides satiety signals and when you walk in a convenience store you're assaulted with this addiction you're assaulted with smoking you know tobacco addiction uh alcohol addiction gambling addiction sugar addiction caffeine addiction that's what when you walk in a convenience store that's what the whole store revolves around
0: yeah
1: impulse Mm -hmm. and colorful packaging to play on your impulse and colorful uh, liquids in the cooler and there's gatorade there's you know monster energies there's red bull there's you know reese's peanut butter cups and all this stuff, you know, all the bright colors that you see everywhere, and it's just meant to pull in your addiction, your impulse to where you can't control yourself, and you buy these things. Mm-hmm. And that's our, those are our foodstuffs, and those, that's what people are, are living off of in their day. You know, first thing in the morning, they might, on their way to work, they might pick up a monster and a, you know, some donuts or a monster and some Reeses or you know something, and that's breakfast. So we should all agree on. That it's healthy to find whole food, and then we can we can have a discussion from there. But I don't think anyone's going to make the argument that the degree to which these ultra processed foods are in our food supply is very unhealthy.
0: Yeah, it's and a lot of people like, be like, oh well, correlation isn't causation. At some point, it is. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> there, I, you see what we've been doing since the '70s. A lot of things. There's like 15 things. You have tons of things we're doing wrong. But at the end of the day, um, to me, the, the availability of cheap carbohydrate for non-athletic purposes is just such a massive, massive driving point. That's, that's what is leading to all this, uh, you know, all the metabolic syndrome and everything else that goes along with it that we've, you know, talked about in this call, obviously.
1: Well, that brings up when we talked about this, the, the high-fat diet being dangerous
0: that's yeah. So, Actually, I want to interrupt you, yeah, because like, so yeah, what I'm seeing is um, when you talk about like the perfect salty, sweet, the chip, and everything, and we talk about like there's not many foods that are high fat and high in carbohydrate. It seems like that's where the biggest damage is at, where you have you have a high fat, high carb uh, food. And then you just can't stop and then basically and also protein gets forgotten a lot of that t- at that point by the time you are finally full you realize you haven't had any protein that day and that's that's just as detrimental for body composition and so like all these bad things happening but what drives me nuts and i'm not sure if this might have been where you're going with that is that a lot of these studies that say they're low carb they aren't really low carb they're actually kind of like moderate carb high carb and they, they, you know a lot of studies that say this is this is a, a high fat low carb diet, a really like high fat, moderate carb, a high fat, high carb, and those are like, those hit the addiction centers. And we have some new studies showing that that I want to talk about as well later on in, you know, on our channel and everything. So am I close to where you're going with when I cut you off?
1: Yes, yeah, absolutely. So some diets uh, that are normal carbohydrate have been referred to in the past as uh, like around seventy percent of your calories coming from carbohydrates, Jeez. and so Damn therefore man. they've called low carb fifty percent or less, which is not so, low carb and nowhere so near ketogenic. Diet, you're which getting a thousand
0: calories from carbohydrate, which is two hundred fifty carbs. That's low carb.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) And so there's no clear definition on low carb. Uh, I think now maybe reasonably we'd all talk about low carb as 30 to 40 uh, percent, uh, which is better than the 50. But a ketogenic low carb is 5 percent. So we're talking about a very big difference. So when people talk about low carb, it's not the same as talking about ketogenic. Um, and actually promoting ketones in the blood. So it's a very different thing. And when we look at these high-fat diets with animal models that say uh, a high-fat diet is is dangerous, it's higher fat, again, with that high glycemic uh, carbohydrate paired with it. Mm -hmm. And that is the Western diet. And that is uh, turning off lipolysis, inhibiting lipolysis, the breakdown of fat, and it's promoting lipogenesis, the storage of fat and creation of fat, and that's what's happening when you're exposed to both. You're, you're keeping insulin elevated, and therefore, you're turning those other things off, or well, you're turning off lipolysis, and you're turning on lipogenesis, so that's the problem, is this is not a ketogenic diet, a high, very high fat, very low carb diet. It's a high fat with uh, processed vegetable oils, typically. Yeah. And, and a high carb with garbage carbohydrate, like high fructose corn syrup or maltodextrin, or like some of these kinds of things paired with it. So it's very misguided when they talk about high fat diet.
0: Yeah, and what drives me nuts is I mean, obviously, it's, it's the point where I think the researchers have to have to know this at this point, that they shouldn't be calling that a high-fat diet, like a high-fat diet, especially for a rat. It takes like 90% fat to get a rat into ketosis. So, um, so uh, 50% fat is not high fat for a rat, especially. And, you know, we aren't rats and everything. But, yeah, they, they are even more extreme cases. So, taking some of those like numbers that might be kind of high fat for a human and then applying that to a rat is like completely false. But what really drives me nuts is that the propaganda like headlines that get created out of it and it's almost like to, it, it almost feels like sometimes it was like done on purpose or something or I don't know but you know and obviously we're in this clickbait culture where people wanna um where you know news organizations are literally dying and they'll you know, do anything to get the clicks and so if a researcher like says one wrong word or puts the puts the word high in the wrong spot and then it just turns into this massive headline that gets passed around and up the the blogosphere and then you see Um, on Twitter, some of the the research that I follow, they get upset. And so I want to, it's almost like I need to have a list of just like, okay, these were not truly high fat or these were not truly low carb studies. So you mentioned like the mixture of the high fat and the, and the carbohydrate is just this, this situation that creates for, for lipogenesis. What about What if it was uh, just a simply a high a high carb low fat diet that a lot of bodybuilders follow? Is that going to since you're not supplying as many fat molecules, is it going to be a little bit better for um, for general health? Do you think at that point, like, is it worse to have this like, is it worse to have both high and then just high carb alone?
1: It is worse to have both high. Okay. Yes. I don't think it's healthy to deny yourself somewhere in that 30 to 40% of calories coming from fat. Um, because that's been shown repeatedly, like with the Mediterranean diet, with syndrome X diet, with some of these things, you don't have to go into ketosis per se. But, Mm uh, if you think about our brain is cholesterol based and, uh, fatty acid-based, you know, phospholipids, and you think about all of our hormones are cholesterol-based, and you think about how important it is to have a certain level of fat because, yes, like on a low-fat diet like, like uh, Ornish or Pritikin that you can um, lower LDL, but you also lower HDL. And they've actually shown on a very low-fat diet that your risk is higher for cardiovascular disease Mm -hmm. than on that moderate-fat diet. So it's, again, misguided. And I've talked about this before, too, that LDL is, in and of itself, if you look at like the typical test for cholesterol that your doctor might give you that has... HDL, LDL, total cholesterol. Mm-hmm. Those are calculated one, and two, those aren't really breaking out the subfractions of these uh, molecules, these chylomicrons. So the problem is LDL isn't the bad cholesterol. It's VLDL, that is. There's a large, fluffy LDL that's positively correlated with improved cardiovascular outcomes. Just like HDL. So, again, misguided. Mm-hmm. You have to, this is again, doctors don't even know this, which is sad. There's very few cardiologists that know this. Super sad. So, they need to order a, what's called a VAP test or an NMR test and look at these subfractions. Then they can look at VLDL and say, okay, this one fraction is elevated and you're at higher risk for cardiovascular disease. Or they can say, oh, you're on the ketogenic diet and your cholesterol is higher, but it's your large fluffy LDL, it's your HDL, it's all these other subfractions, and your VLDL is actually improved. So you're in a better cardiovascular risk Mm -hmm. state because you're on a ketogenic diet. And even though your cholesterol numbers are higher than what's considered within normal limits or healthy, for the American Heart Association, you're healthy and you're not at risk. But of course, doctors hate to go against standards of care and guidelines.
0: Yeah, that's uh, yeah, they, they they'll get themselves into trouble, and that's just unfortunate because yeah. at what point are the patients being neglected at that point? And uh, yeah, you see a lot of frustration happening over there, but hey we're we're doing our best to get the information out and it's it's to the point where like this where i'm excited about the internet about youtube about podcasts and stuff like the information is out there. there and there there is um there is an information war going on i i see it happening and that's why i get mad at some of those headlines uh whether they're intentional or not doesn't matter but there there is the information is out there and at this point i just don't think that the um that the researchers who truly care this like generation of researchers who are kind of our age and um you know somewhere in that in that uh, in that born in that range, who are really like kind of fed up with what's been been shoved down our throats and like the the boomers have just they, they've been just brainwashed to the point where it's like, listen, there is this other information out there. and the research is starting to back it up. The young researchers are showing it. And um, you don't need to believe all the things that have, have that have always been taught to you because the new research is showing it's quite different. And uh, it, it's there is there is an information war, is all I'm going to say, and I do enjoy kind of following it because, hey, what has been uh, taught to us has, in, in the past decades has not been working. And so even if we're not 100% right about some of this stuff, it's to the point where it can't be any worse than this whole obesity epidemic and everything
1: that's 100%. Is yeah. 100% and you know one of the other things that we've talked about that that frustrates the hell out of me is the ketogenic diet being the new fad diet and everyone talking about it being a fad and i'll say to them ketosis is not a fad ketosis is a state that you know going back to what you were taught and what i was taught even uh from my clinical dietetics was just the only time i heard ketosis was in um you know this high-risk diabetic ketoacidosis state right. I never heard ketosis can be healthy didn't even talk about it mm-hmm. for epilepsy talked about things like Kepra and these drugs these anti-seizure drugs of course but the new fad is not the ketogenic diet because we were in ketosis probably 50% of the time if you went back thousands tens of thousands of years yeah so You know, we would have, even during the summer, we would have resistant starches. We might eat a potato, we might eat a green banana. Those are resistant starches that actually can promote ketosis, believe it or not. When they're not in a ripened state, when they're not broken down, heated up, mashed, whatever, all this stuff. Like most of the fruit we would've ate wouldn't have always been perfectly ripe like Mm -hmm. it is at the store. And we would've had to work to get it. And guess what caloric expenditure means, ketosis. So if we had to work to get our food, be it, you know, carbohydrate or animal, then you know, that's caloric expenditure. And guess what? If we went a day or two days without eating because we're looking for food, because food wasn't available, because it was winter, because it was sparse plants around, because we were sick and hurt, whatever, we would have been in ketosis. And then during the winter when we were eating just animals, would have been in ketosis. And it's like, well, so like a lot of times we would be fasting. A lot of times we would be eating animals. A lot of times we would have been eating resistant starches. So we would have been in ketosis a fair amount of the time. The new fad diet is artificial sweeteners, artificial colors, artificial flavors, RBGH, RBST, antibiotics, GMO, ultra processed. That's the new fad diet. That's the new thing that's happened in the last 50 to 100 years. Right and it's accelerating at a rapid rate, and that's killing us. That's the new fad diet we should all be pissed off about.
0: Right, yeah, and it's it's not to say that one, it's tough to say, oh, you know, our ancestors, okay, my ancestors, mountains of Italy, so uh, obviously there's no fruit around in the winter. What do you think they're doing? They're eating animal fat, it, maybe they weren't in ketosis, they ate enough protein, but chances are they were v- for a large amount of the time in keto, because there weren't just like you know apples sitting around, <laughs> like, I don't right? Know if those grow in, the, in that area even during the summer. So, and so I'm not saying that that's better. I'm my argument is that we are very heavily adapted towards being able to do both. And to me, I think that there is um, when we start talking about what's better. You know, it's a little bit tougher because obviously my ancestors in the mountains of Italy were probably didn't live as long either. But they were probably also like you know they broke their leg and they're done. Um, so it's tough to like talk about you know lifespan in terms of being quote unquote better, but I can I can say that at least being adaptable shows that I think I think it's wise to be able to cycle in and out of things. And with the standard of care, the standard you know, Western diet, we have we never cycle out of that state, especially given that. "Quote unquote, breakfast is the most important meal of the day, and so right off the bat, you might have some ketones starting to develop after your little nighttime fast. First thing we do is throw down four bowls of cereal, and guess what? Blood sugar and goodbye ketones. And those ketones do have certain therapeutic benefits, it seems. Um, and so, right. and I'm not sure, I'm not sure if if some of these benefits, and maybe you can go back to this, are some of the benefits we've talked about. Is it the ketones doing it, or is it just the lack of blood sugar that is
1: well?" You, know. you, you forgot about with your as part of your healthy breakfast in that picture. There's also orange juice. Oh, yeah. There's also uh, white toast. <laughs> right. So, yeah,
0: I will. Yeah. yeah it would be, be one bowl of cereal and then the orange juice and the white toast. For me, it was just four bowls of cereal. <laughs> so, right,
1: that, right. That was uh, that was how. Um, I did. But now that that's a that's a good question, and I think the the actual answer is it's both because of we talked about glycation leading to inflammation and all those kinds of issues with elevated blood sugar and hyperinsulinemia, right? So that's part of the equation. But the other part of the equation is when you're in these insufficient cellular energy states because you can't supply enough blood glucose to uh, create uh, enough energy from the mitochondria through um, typical glucogenic means, then you you can get the the energy through ketones, so that's the difference is that now you're in sufficient cellular energy state with the ketones so
0: okay, so it's not like the ketones are like these these miracle like super you know mr. clean cleaners or whatever it's more like they are just providing the cellular energy that was no that was not they're restorative it seems like because they're providing for an energy state that you just simply couldn't get otherwise?
1: Yeah, it's difficult, because it's difficult for me to say definitively it's just one or the right, other. Right. There's, there's a lot of signaling that happens and that we don't fully understand with a lot of these molecules that when, like for example, when glucose and ketones, there's an interplay there that there can be some glucose-specific signaling or some ketone-specific signaling that's happening that's causing a cascade of things to happen that we're just not very clear on. So
0: maybe they do have some miracles up their sleeves still, but either
1: way, there's, there's a lot of things that happens in our body that don't necessarily happen, um, on a physiological level right out of the gate with us being babies. Some of these things happen as shortcuts as we age Hmm. that are fascinating as well. That, Like, you know, the body becomes smarter and more adaptable over time to recognize certain signals of things being elevated or things being depressed and then, and then reacting to those things. So it's very difficult to say the body is so complex and so individualized that, but that's what I would say is that um, it's more, if I was to look at on a therapeutic level in terms of damage, it's. Suppressing the blood glucose in terms of improved energy, it's the elevated ketones. I like that.
0: Okay, very well put. Awesome. Well, Sean, I think that's a, that's pretty good for now. I really appreciate you coming back, and I feel like I was just kind of thinking, like, oh man, you know, I've had I haven't asked much about Sean ever, and I think we need to do a, a podcast interview. We're talk about what you've been doing because our two podcasts have been kind of me selfishly asking questions for me and my family, as opposed to, um, seeing what, what's, what, what, you know, what lies ahead in the future. Cause I know you've been, um, looking at some new logos for some new projects. I'm not sure like what exactly you want to talk about, but I would tell you that then the next two calls I would like to have personally would be first off, let's see, um, where the future lies with Sean Wells because, and then that would be your selfish call. Like just, if you want to do it, you know I would. I think some of our users are like, "Whoa, this guy knows some stuff. What's he up to next?" Because we kind of, uh, it seems like sometimes, like with some of the stuff we're talking about, we're playing catch up from some of the researchers. I want to go jump into what's next, and then also mm. I wouldn't mind if you're if you're willing to do so, and we promote the BioTrust uh, IC5 or whatever during this video. Um, I would like to just do a full-on like solo berberine deep dive where we just sit there and talk about berberine for 20 minutes. And uh, that would be that would be my next two videos, but I'm not sure what what you'd want to talk about But just that leading into the next uh, the next few so people can subscribe to the channel on YouTube
1: (laughs) That sounds good I mean, whatever you want to do and and I would love to see what uh, some of your viewers want and uh, And we can provide it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this one um, Given that, you know, we're gonna be kind of in the title having a few different like the, I'm not sure what we'll, what we'll call it, but like we'll be talking about cancer and everything. This might bring in some other visitors who are not necessarily like the the standard price person. But um, for any any of our price subscribers that are still out there, yeah, we'd love to love to hear what you want to talk about. Because Sean's got way too much information about way too many things. So it's almost like, what do we talk about next? But those are my <laughs> two ideas.
1: Sounds good. I appreciate it, Mike. It was All good right. talking to you again.
0: Thanks, Sean. Signing out. We will see you next time. Subscribe to the channel, and we uh, yeah, what's, and we'll have links and everything. But of course, Sean is at Zone Halo on Twitter and Instagram, and uh, we'll also make a link to his Facebook page, which you can follow as well. And so he also he often puts up really cool infographics and does some really cool stuff. Got a ton of projects that he has, and he shares good studies and all that. So and so we'll definitely have those links there, and maybe I'll drop some plugs uh, in the beginning of the video because we're so deep in. I, I want to make sure that you get plugged a little bit better there too.
1: <laughs> All right. Thanks, no. Mike. See you. See you
0: next time. Bye
1: bye. Welcome to Price Fowl.